A number of years ago when I was talking to brethren at a local congregation about the possibility of moving there to work with them as the evangelist, I had a sit-down meeting with the elders of the church, and I got to tell you, the impression that I got from that as I thought about it later was it was it was like a job interview at a business somewhere. Uh, they were spelling out expectations and requirements, not a bad thing, obviously, but the way that they described it was sort of like they were describing what would be expected of an employee on a job, and and then the capper was when one of the elders said, now, of course, after you've been here for 12 months, you'll be granted two weeks of paid vacation. I thought, boy, that, just, that sounds like I'm interviewing for a job in a plant somewhere, you know. Uh, and so I got the idea, and later it was borne out, I think, more fully, that these fellows were viewing the church sort of like you would view a business or a corporation. Now, that's not all bad, I think, but that's not exactly the kind of picture that the New Testament paints for us regarding a local congregation. The typical description that we have in the Word of God is that the church is a spiritual family. We want to go to that. We're not going to get that, Kyle? There we go. The the typical description we get in in the Scriptures is that the church is that of a spiritual family. And I think that's the way we need to look at it. Not like a business, not like a corporation, not even like a club or some kind of a recreational group. This, the church, the local congregation, is to be viewed as a spiritual family. And we want to try to develop that theme in our study this morning. We are a spiritual family. Let me stop just briefly to add words of welcome to those that have already been extended this morning. We're very glad to see you here today. We have visitors with us today. We're always grateful for our visitors. In fact, we're very grateful for our visitors today because when you get the prayer list that's been printed, uh, you'll see that there's an awful lot of people who are out sick today, and there's also a number of people who are away uh, on this extended weekend. And so our numbers are down, but we're, we're very grateful for those who are here and for our visitors especially. Thanks for coming our way. Be sure to carefully consider the things that we say this morning. Compare them carefully to the Word of God. Make sure we're handling the Word of God properly. Then, of course, the challenge becomes, apply these things in our lives. If they're true to the Word of God, we've got to make application in our daily lives. Let's talk about the church as a spiritual family. As we were saying, that's the way the church is most often described, as a family. Notice that's the way that Jesus felt about it. In the reading that Jeff did for us earlier from Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 46, there were those who came to him and said, Thy mother, thy brother are without. Uh, And he said, notice, who is my mother and my brethren? He stretched forth his hand toward his disciples. And he said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus felt that those that he had a bond with spiritually were even closer and dearer to him than his physical family. It's interesting that we know that at this particular time, his own physical brothers did not view him to be the only begotten Son of God, which he really was. They later came to be believers, but at this point in their lives, they were not. So when Jesus pointed to his disciples and he said, these, these are my family, he was expressing the fact that he felt closer to those with whom he had a spiritual bond than he did even to his own flesh and blood. 
That's how, that's how affected, strongly, personally affected that he was toward those that he shared faith with. I think a lot of us could say the same. I, I, I imagine that there are many of you this morning who would say, as I would say, that there are a lot of people in, in the Lord's body that I'm much closer to than I am to even some of my own physical flesh and blood. We are family. Jesus felt that way, that way about, and we should feel that way also. The apostles taught along this line as well. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one another. Notice, love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. We need to have love as brethren. We are spiritual family. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul said, If I tarry along, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Notice here Paul uses the expression, the house of God. He's not talking about a physical structure of brick and mortar and, and timber. He's talking about this relationship. And instead of saying house of God, we would probably say, and I think some newer translations actually say, it is the family of God. That's the way it is to be viewed. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And there is that idea again of a family relationship. And finally, one more time, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and be a father unto you. Notice, he will be a father, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so, we share a relationship with God as our Father, and that makes us brothers and sisters in this spiritual family. And so, that's the way the church is described so frequently in the Scriptures, it's not the exclusive description of the church, but it's a frequent description, and we ought to view it that way. Now, that being the case, uh, if we are a spiritual family, then we need to relate to one another in many of the same ways that we naturally do relate with our own physical families. For instance, we need to show concern for one another with true loyalty to one another. Let me ask you a very simple question. How would you react if your mother or your father, your son or your daughter, your brother or your sister, how would you react if they were in some sort of trouble or had some sort of problem? For instance, how, how do you react when someone in your physical family uh, has a sickness or a medical issue that they're dealing with? Many of us here this morning have even recently been involved in those sort of things in our physical family. What do you do when your physical family has some sort of illness or medical emergency that you're dealing with? Well, you jump, you jump to do whatever you can, right? You don't sit back and just ignore the situation. You immediately try to do what you can to offer help, showing your deep concern for that family member. What, do you, what would you do if your daughter was out and uh, her car died. She's, 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 gone, she's gone to town to get something, and, and she calls and says, the car won't start. Uh, you're on your own, I'm telling you. Sorry. I hope you, I hope you get that fixed, but I'm not doing anything. That's not how we would react, is it? We would jump with concern to provide whatever help we, had, we could to help that situation. We, we're family. 
And we have loyalty to one another. Well, what would you do if your spiritual brother or sister was in trouble or had a problem or even had a spiritual sickness or weakness that they were dealing with? We ought to have that same kind of concern for one another and show that same degree of loyalty for our spiritual family. When Jesus was talking about God's love for us, he referred to the natural love of a physical father for his physical sons. You remember this from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, beginning verse 9. What man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will give him a stone, or if he asks a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Now, notice, he, he talks about a physical family relationship. So the father, his, the son asked the father, I need something to eat. I need some bread. Uh, you're going to give him a stone? He says he's hungry. He wants a fish. You're going to give him a serpent? No. He says, if ye then, being evil, we're just, we're just fallible human beings, right? But we know how to give good gifts to our family members when they need it. And his point is, He's making a point about God's love for us and how God cares for and provides for us. But the point is based on the common love that exists in a physical family. Because everybody understands that kind of love exists in a physical family, Jesus could draw out this spiritual point to, to make this comparison. It's understood in physical families you care for one another. You give them what they need. If that's true of our physical family... He said, make the application to your spiritual family. God, your father, loves you even more than a physical father loves his son. We are a family in that regard, and we need to have concern. It should be common in our spiritual family that we care for one another. In Philippians 2, beginning verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. My question to you and me this morning is, do we do that as a spiritual family in Christ? Do we look out for one another's interests? We've commented so many times about the the problem of selfishness and self-centeredness. And we've indicated again and again that it is a root cause of so many bad relationship problems in the body of Christ. We need to look at ourselves as family, and as family, we need to have that kind of mutual concern for one another and a true loyalty to one another. I'll tell you something about my physical family. If they, if they act out and do wrong, if they disappoint me or hurt me in some way, I don't just write them off. I, I'm, I'm going to work on that thing. I want to do my best to make it right because there's a loyalty But unfortunately, in the body of Christ, what happens so often is, you made me mad, I'm leaving. You upset me, I'm out of here. We wouldn't do that to our physical family. And we shouldn't do it to our spiritual family either. We should have concern for one another and a true sense of loyalty for one another. I'll tell you, that's obviously going to cause us to provide for each other's needs. In fact, in in that regards... In regards to a physical family, you remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8? If any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he's denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's how much that's expected in a physical family, right? It is so expected that physical family members will take care of each other that if you don't do that, 
Paul says you're worse than an infidel. Well, make the application to our spiritual connection. In 1 John 3, verse 17, Whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? What John is saying there is that we have familial love for one another spiritually. Now, we're going to provide for the, the even the the physical necessities of our brothers and sisters. We're going to provide for one another's needs. I think the love is also going to cause us to exercise discipline when it's needed. You ever seen an undisciplined child? I know that you have, uh, and we all have. It seems like maybe increasingly we see evidence of children that are not being disciplined. I know I've told you all, some of you all the story of, of, of being in the auto parts store down near where we live, uh, the guy at the counter for years was Jack. And uh, I went in there one day to buy something for the car. I don't know what it was, but Jack was at the counter. But there was a line of people waiting to get what they needed and to be checked out. And in the line just in front of me was a man and a little boy. I'm saying, I'm saying that kid maybe was eight years old, something of that nature. And in the auto parts store, they had some die-cast metal model cars. And the kid picked one of those things up. And he said to his daddy, I want this car. His daddy said, you can't have that car. Well, they they began an argument. I mean, a full-scale yelling argument. I want this car. You can't have that car. And they went back and forth and back and forth. And it took about five minutes for us to get up to the counter to be checked out. When that guy got up there with the kid to the counter, uh, he got his parts, and then he told Jack, the counter guy, he says, Ah, give him this car. <laughs> I, I usually don't do such things, but I couldn't hold back. I said, You're not going to give him the car now, are you? <laughs> he said, Oh, yeah, I didn't let him out of the car. <laughs> so they checked out, went out, and I got up to the counter, and I said, Jack, can you believe that? He said, I cannot believe that. He said, I almost wouldn't sell him the car after all that. But that just that's just sadly an example of the kind of situation that exists all too often in family. They don't exercise. Children are being raised without discipline. In a loving family, parents discipline their children. Discipline is administered when and as needed. That's the way it ought to be in our spiritual family too. Notice in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth betimes. That's what we do in our physical families, and that's what needs to take place in our spiritual family. In 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning verse 14, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as a brother, excuse me, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Notice, he's a brother. And so in, in the family... We're going to discipline when it is needed. All too often when this sort of a subject comes up, there'll be some people who say that's just unloving. To to exercise discipline, the kind of congregational discipline that the New Testament teaches in passages like 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Thessalonians 3, when we administer that sort of discipline, there's always people who say that's just an unloving thing to do, to discipline like that. But the fact of the matter is that it's no different than punishing a child who needs to be disciplined. Your child, you tell your child, don't go out into the street. 
He goes out into the street. And so you discipline him for that. Because, why? Because you love him. You discipline him. Because you know he needs to be trained not to do that sort of thing. You love him. You discipline him. If you don't discipline him, you show that you don't love him. It's the same thing in our spiritual family. If we fail to discipline when it's needed, we're actually showing that we don't love our brethren as we should. And so in a family, we exercise discipline when it's needed. In a family, we forgive one another. I want to tell you, with the exception of God in heaven himself, there's nobody in this world that's had to forgive me as many times as my wife and children. That's just a fact of the matter. And I'm sure it's true. If you stop to consider it, I'm sure it's true in your family as well. There's, I mean, lots of people have had to forgive me of lots of things through the years, but nobody has ever had to forgive me, even close to the number of times my wife and children have had to forgive me. But that's what we do in families. In families, we forgive one another. It's needed in our spiritual family too. In Ephesians 4, beginning verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Notice, we've needed forgiveness. We've needed forgiveness from God and from others, and we ought to be willing to extend it. Now, we've talked often about the forgiveness question, and it's, 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 more, it's, a, it's a more involved subject than just saying that. We know that there are different things to be considered in the forgiving process, but we need to have a mind toward forgiving in our spiritual family. We do that in our physical families we need to do it in our spiritual family as well we need to simply serve one another that's what we do in families we serve one another i think this is sort of a summary of everything that we might say about our duties to one another in a family Uh, in our in our families we serve one another we do whatever they need us to do we serve them it's not in, in our families It's not serve me, it's rather how can I help? What can I do? Or at least in a healthy family it's that way. And that's the way it should be in our spiritual family. In Matthew chapter 20, beginning verse 25, Jesus called unto him and said, You know the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You see that? Don't look to be served, look to serve. That's what we do in our physical families. And if we view the church the way we should as our spiritual family, then we ought to gladly serve one another. More could be said there. I think you can add to that list. But those are a number of things that I think are important necessary parallels between what we naturally do in our physical family and what we should be expected to do in our spiritual family. Okay, so let's ask this question then as a follow-up. How do we nurture that sort of feeling in our spiritual family? How do do we get this family-type relationship? How do we get it and how do we grow it? How do we make it better and better? Well, I've just got a couple of suggestions. The first suggestion I would offer is that we need to spend more time with one another. Do you feel close to people that you never spend time with? 
Well, you don't really, do you? Honestly. There may be some weird exception to that, but generally speaking, you do not feel really close to people that you never get to spend any time with. And that's true even of our physical family. I've got some cousins that I used to be pretty close with as a kid growing up. But some of those cousins I haven't seen in over 40 years. In fact, I'm, I'm sad to have to admit it, but if I had to get in contact with them, I don't even, I'd, I'd have to do some hard researching to find out even where they are now. I haven't seen them or spoken to them in over 40 years, although we were once pretty close. But we went different ways. Our lives diverged. We, we just simply don't spend time. They haven't for a long time. I'm not close to them because I don't spend time with them, right? That can happen in a physical family. We don't want that to happen in our spiritual family. If we want to have this family closeness, we need to spend time with one another. Make the spiritual parallel here. You know this passage very well. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, you know this part of the passage, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, right? Because that's what we often harp on. When we're talking about attendance, this verse always comes up. You need to be in the assemblies. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, it's right there, right? It's a straightforward command, and we need to do it. But the text actually tells us why we need to do it. Because in doing it, we are considering one another and exhorting one another. And so we should spend time in worship because it's commanded, but we also should spend time in worship because it's a way for me to be showing my concern for you and you for me and a way for us to be exhorting and encouraging one another. I want to ask you the question, if I, if I don't assemble, if I choose, if I make the conscious choice to not assemble, can I honestly say that I'm concerned for my brethren? Now, assembling is more than that too, right? Obviously, our assembling is to worship and glorify God. But it's also about us, right? About our coming together and the encouragement that we gain from one another. But I tell you, I'm not going. I don't care. I don't have a good reason not to be there. It's just that I, I choose to do something else or do nothing at all for that matter. I'm just not going. Well, I got a problem with God. But I'll tell you, that also expresses a problem in, uh, in regards to my spiritual family relationship in the body of Christ. That I don't care. That my absence will discourage you. And I will, I'll be missing out on a great opportunity to show my concern for you. And if I don't, if I don't go, if I don't care then there's really a, a problem there. We need to spend more time together. And obviously, these assembly times are very important. But I'll tell you, we need to spend more time than that, than just the time we spend together in worship. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. We need to be looking for opportunities to spend time together. Now, I'll tell you something about that. That requires us to put forth effort. When families get together, there's a lot of time and energy that's invested in making that possible. For instance, when your physical family, you had a family reunion lately. I don't know if you've ever been involved in organizing and, and, and carrying off a, a family reunion. There's a tremendous amount of effort involved in that. Time and money. 
Even when our own immediate families get together for some sort of a holiday celebration, there's a lot of work that goes in. You have to put yourself out to do that. But why do we do it? Because we enjoy it and we think it's beneficial, right? What about our spiritual family? Is it worth putting forth the effort to spend extra time together to express our concern and care for one another? And I think the answer is obvious. And so if we want to build this family-type relationship in the body of Christ, we do it at least partially by spending more and more time with one another. And then let me also suggest that we do it by becoming more mutually involved in our common work. There's just a natural bond that exists with people at work. Where do you work? And who are the people who work with you? Well, you have, you have a lot in common and you spend a whole lot of time together doing the work that you have to do at your workplace, right? And you develop a, a kinship because you're working together and you're, you're spending time and you're, and you're engaged in a common effort. These might be the kind of people that you would never seek out uh, otherwise, but by virtue of the fact that you are at work with them and spend days each week working together, there, there's, a, there's a, a bond that is built there. It's interesting, though, that, that the work is the exclusive basis of that relationship. If you, if you leave that job or they leave that job, that relationship goes away, right? Because the relationship exists because of the commonality of the work. When I worked, before I started preaching full-time, and uh, when I was working, there was a particular guy at work that I was really close to. He was a super nice guy. Uh, we always went on lunch and coffee break together. We even associated somewhat outside of the work environment. Uh, really nice guy. When I left that job to start preaching full-time, I saw him one or two times after that, but the, the relationship just went by the way. And again, I haven't seen him in years and years and years because our work commonality is what drew us together. Now, my point in that is if that works with people of the world, that we can draw together and have a relationship with a close relationship with people of the world because we work together, how much more so in our spiritual family, will we be closer to one another if we work together, invest our time and efforts together doing the work of the kingdom of God? In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, not slothful in business. What's the business he's talking about there? It's our spiritual business, right? Serving God. Don't be lazy. Don't be slothful in, visit, in business. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Notice, we're, our business is being a Christian And we're to be fervent in that matter. The question is, are you? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I think an interesting question, whenever we come by this familiar passage of 1 Corinthians 15, 58, is to honestly ask ourselves. You ask yourself. I ask myself. Could I use that word? To describe me, that I am abounding in the work of the Lord, overflowing in the work of the Lord. Well, obviously there's room for improvement there. But the more that we work 
and work in unison and work together, the closer we become. So, very simple concept of our lesson this morning is we need to view this relationship that we enjoy in the body of Christ in the local congregation. We need to see ourselves as a spiritual family. And if we are family, then then we do certain things and we act certain ways and we develop and nurture that relationship in obvious ways. We need to see ourselves as family. Let me conclude our study this morning with John 13, beginning verse 34. Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You ever seen a boy and a girl dating? And they are just obviously in love. I mean, you can, you can see it. I mean, you just, you see them together and you see the way they interact with each other. And you just, man, those, that boy and that girl, they are deeply in love, right? You, you, you can see it. It's actually something that you can observe in them that they are in love with one another. You can, just by looking, you can tell. Well, Jesus says people, when they view us, as the spiritual family of Christ, they ought to be able to see in us. In fact, they ought to be able to judge in us that we are disciples of Christ by virtue of what they can obviously see in our relationships with one another. By this, Jesus said, by the love that we have for one another, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. The question then for us is, Are we acting and conducting ourselves in such a way that that is obvious and would be obvious to people in the world? That they can look at us and they can observe that relationship that we share as family in Christ. Do do they see that? Can they observe it? Is it that obvious? It ought to be. And we ought to work at nurturing that family relationship in the body of Christ. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. And I hope it's helpful to us. Uh, as we work together in the local congregation. We're going to end with a song of invitation. As we sing this song of invitation, we'll be asking everyone to make sure your life is right with God. This lesson has not been one that teaches the plan of salvation or motivates somebody to obey that plan of salvation, but we would not want to end our time together without providing an opportunity. If you understand your need to obey that very simple gospel plan, hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you understand those things and are desirous to obey, we are anxious to help you in your obedience. We'd be glad to study with you more. If you have questions to ask, just let us know how we can serve you. If you're a Christian already but have fallen away, come back to the Lord in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.